A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Lore of Us podcast, where the lore hounds your guides to a fungal apocalypse. I'm John. And I'm David, and this is our coverage of the HBO original series, The Last of Us. In this podcast, we'll be discussing our general thoughts about this episode before getting into our in-depth scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 1, Episode 6, Kin. Be sure to stick around at the end of the podcast for programming notes about other great podcasts coming from us and our podcasting peers. One of our favorite things about podcasting is getting feedback. And we love to hear fan theories, pickups on details we might have missed, and just to hear what folks are thinking about the episodes and the seasons overall. You can send us a feedback two ways. You can email us at tlou at thelorehounds.com or leave us a voicemail over on our website. Go to thelorehounds.com slash contact, and then we'll get to those feedbacks on the next episode. If you want to talk The Last of Us with us sooner, join us on the new Discord server, which we've just launched. Link in the show notes below. And a quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and you feel like you'd like to support us directly, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just three bucks a month, you can get ad-free uh, versions, early access, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And um, yeah, all of your support helps us make more podcasts. Of course, you can always get our ad supporter podcasts on our Lorehounds Firehose feed by searching for us on your podcast application of choice or using the subscription tool at thelorehounds.com. And lastly, we'd like to ask everyone, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Um, even better is if you could leave a short review, letting others know what you enjoy about our show. Um, there's a lot of sh- folks covering The Last of Us right now, and rankings and reviews actually help us be more visible when people are searching for shows. And so that helps us uh, obviously make more podcasts. So that's a big way that you could give us a help. Absolutely. So, David, we just watched season one, episode six, Kin of The Last of Us. What did you think? This, uh, I'm still processing this episode. Um, I think, in a word, this episode is complex. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of depth to what's going on here. It's seemingly a very simple uh, storyline, the plot development, but then, like, what's happening with different characters and what's happening in the story. Um, is, is, yeah, just a, there's a level of complexity that I, I have yet to fully process. Right. We've got Joel opening up. Um, we've got Tommy and Joel trying to reorient to each other and to figure out their relationship. 
we finally have Joel and Ellie committing to each other and like establishing that, yeah, I love you and I love you too, and we need to be together. But God forbid they say it. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, you know, they're just not that type of folk. Um, what does it mean to keep looking for the fireflies when you have a place like Jackson to, you know, you know, have a place in and, and live? Uh-huh. What does it mean that the fireflies have relocated? You know, like there's all these really big questions, and this seems to be for as quiet an episode as this was, there's just so much emotional complexity. And I think obviously with the ending of this story, both with you know the fireflies not being where we expected them to be. And then what happens to Joel, right? This is a big, pivotal, pivotal, can I say the word pivotal? Uh, I did it, uh, episode. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I still don't know how to take it all in and process it, because obviously we're three more episodes to go. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, again, I knew the twists and turns that were coming. They did change sure. a lot of the way things happened, but mm-hmm. what happened was very similar. Okay. And I thought it was a great episode. I thought that the changes that they made were really smart. And I say this every week. I feel like a broken Yeah, you do. (laughs) The changes that they made were smart. I mean, they just were. I mean, Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann are having, obviously, very deep conversations about what to do with this. I did Mm -hmm. listen to the official podcast this week because this was, other than the Bill and Frank episode, I think the most different from the game as far as actual, like, things that happened and the ways character characters acted now they didn't change the character motivations i don't think right but they did change a lot of how things happened and i think that they were good changes generally because they were avoiding action sequences and we don't need that as much in a tv show in fact i've been watching the book of boba fett to prep for our yes uh, mandalorian coverage and that is only action and no characterization (laughs) and you can see how that very quickly becomes bad when it goes the other way not to get into uh into book of boba fett too much but did you get through the whole season i'm four episodes in i finished the fourth episode okay so you haven't got to the fifth chapter okay no got it all right We'll, we'll, we'll be talking. We'll be talking. We'll anyway, be talking. Yeah, I interrupted season your preview coming That's out right. very soon. That's right. On a podcast feed near you. Uh, I interrupted you. Your thought, though. Please continue. Well, I just mean that seeing character drama done this well is always really exciting. Uh-huh. And they nailed it. They really nailed it this episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. excited to see where they go now. Uh, I, I think that the number of game Easter eggs was really fun, while okay. not being, as you would say, memberberry. Heavy? I will say, as a non, right, as, as the non game player of our duo here, this episode felt the least video gamey to me. I didn't feel like there were Easter eggs. I didn't feel like there were, like in the last episode when Joel was, you know, uh, with his rifle, like there was a crosshair in the scope and it really felt, and, you know, and like, oh, you got to get Ellie, you got to cover. That stuff felt all very video game. This episode, yeah. there was not a hint of video game to me, to my viewing, to my listening. Yeah, well, other than that one scuffle at the end, there really wasn't a lot of action, right? Mm, it's true. When you're playing the video game, it's mostly action. Like okay. the, the story gets told you know, through dialogue in between the action, but really like the gameplay is I'm going to sneak around and I'm going to strangle people and things <laughs> like that. And I, the body count of Joel in the game is insane. Okay. And doing that in a TV show would have made him a completely <laughs> psycho, <laughs> unlikable character. Just, yeah, exactly, a psychopath. How, how do you empathize with this guy? Right. 
So I'm glad that they've changed that quite a bit. Good. Well, yeah, it was, um, I think you're right. The, this is so character focused and they are really delivering on the authentic, on authenticity of people who are dealing with stuff. I don't ever feel like I'm being pandered to. I don't ever feel like I'm being overly explained things to. When Joel and Tommy, and we'll get into it, are, are having a conversation, I feel like that's a conversation I could have with a relative in some way. Not that I'm an old, broken down man who's trying to like, you know. But you aspire to be. Right, exactly. You know, I want to. I, I really do want to walk across the West with you know just my rifle in my hand and <laughs> and your not child. Yes, and my not not child. Um, yeah, but it it just felt these are like honest and authentic. The dialogue just feels very real in so many ways, and that's just so refreshing in a television show. Uh, it's it's nice. I'm going to bring up a couple points that they made in the official podcast that okay. uh, Druckmann made about the way that the video game dialogue developed, because okay. I think it'll be super interesting to go through. There was definitely more input from the actors than mm -hmm. you would think for a video game. Wow, and I think that cool. that's a lot of why the dialogue, even in the game, felt better than most game dialogue. And I think we, we kind of commented this on before, that in a previous podcast, that for a lot of video games, the dialogue, they don't have a necessarily a writer on staff writing the dialogue. It's it's Something gets shoehorned in, shoehorned in, or gets you know uh, handed off to somebody who's maybe doing some game development stuff, but not necessarily dialogue. And being a writer and being a writer of dialogue is a specialty in its own right. Right. And and that's why good good writers are are you know make good books because they are crafting something. And a lot of video games, I don't know. I'm no video game aficionado, so I should be careful about being so declarative. <laughs> Lately, um, they do hire writers most of the time. That's Lately, good. they do. I'm and glad especially, I know The Last of Us 2, they hired someone specifically who was like a screenwriter, and they hired Perfect. someone to come on and write the dialogue for it and, right. and work with Neil Druckmann on the plot before they even started designing the game. And then when you're telling me that Naughty Dog like actually allowed the actors to act and to uh, influence it, like... That's that to me sounds extraordinary, like extraordinarily cool. Uh, I, I like hearing that. Uh, I'm and again, I'm no no aficionado in this in this zone, but wow, like uh, respect. Like I have instant respect for Naughty Dog because you've told me that. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of games. Well, I shouldn't say a lot. A few games end up being sort of game changers. They end up mm -hmm. being industry shifters. And the thing that I think that this really popularized, I'm not going to say they invented it, but they popularized, is really doing story-driven games with motion capture, with direction that felt like a movie direction. Mm. And that is something much more popular now that was not popular in 2013. That's interesting. That's very cool. Well, it sounds like somebody should have a podcast about this. <laughs> Truly. So stick around on our feed to hear the Lorehounds play The Last of Us Part 1 next month with our new co-host, Brendan the Bard. Whoop, whoop, whoop. There it is, folks. Alert, alert. <laughs> a new creative project from the Lorehounds. Like we need another one. <laughs> we did our podcast tally for March and what was it again? 16. I need a nap. <laughs> and there's 31 days, as Marilyn pointed out, because we were arranging with her for our 
Wizard of Earthsea podcast, she's like, well, there's 31 days in March and you guys have 16 podcasts, so. (laughs) Well, David, I think it's time to grab our super fucking eggplant coats and get into our scene-by-scene breakdown. That was hilarious. (laughs) That line was too good to, to pass up. There were a lot of really good zingers in this episode. Yeah, there were. More than I was expecting. I was chuckling most of the episode. All right, so um, before we get into our breakdown, this is just a reminder that I am a person who has not played the games, and I'm not watching the behind the scenes or listening to the official podcast or really consuming much other media, except when I'm trying to figure out where the, what was it, the Southern Eastern Colorado University of some places or... <laughs> oh, it's know. a fake university. Yeah, it's it's... I, I, no, I googled it too when I played the game. Okay, <laughs> so uh, and and actually figuring out where they might be and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, I am I'm not digging into reality stuff uh, or you know to the extra material. Whereas John, you've played the games and you're listening to some of the more official stuff. So this was about 61 minutes. So that was a nice solid episode. And when we open up after the opening credits, we have a flashback to Henry's last moments, and then we fade to black. Um, what did you think of this? What was your internal headcanon processing this? You know, when I saw that it was starting with that and not just in the recap, mm-hmm. I didn't love it. Okay. I thought it was a little bit too much in my face. Mm-hmm. But then the way they explained it on the podcast, and I don't want to get into that too much because the show should stand on its own. Right. But I think that their head was, let's remind people the intense trauma that happened to these characters Mm -hmm. and then show, okay, there is a time jump forward Mm -hmm. and we're going to move on. And so they're not, it's not fresh grief. In the game, they have it so that you don't even have the funeral. It's just Henry dead plays a little bit of music after it fades to black. And then three months later. Oh, that's interesting. So that it actually matches that in that regard. Yeah. I don't know if it was actually three months in the game. Okay. It was a time later. It was enough time so that it wasn't fresh later. Right. Right. And you're just moving on. For whatever reason, the way that they cut that scene in of Henry's last moments there it made me feel as if it were like some kind of dream sequence. And then later it was like, oh, is this the source of Joel's anxiety? I mean, Joel has a lot of sources of anxiety, but this is the most recent one. Yeah. And uh, so I carried this scene with me throughout the entire episode uh, as the thing that was starting to. Um, cause Joel to to have the reactions that he was having. Yeah, in the words of Pink Floyd, it was another brick in the wall, right? It was <laughs> very good. Yes. It was just everything is just adding up, right? Yeah. And I think by the end of the episode you have him just listing out his failures. Mm-hmm. And that was one of his failures. That was his big failure is he didn't do anything to save Ellie there because Henry held a gun up. Right. And Henry had to kill his own brother because Joel failed to act. That was a big failure in in his mind. Now you know, people freeze up, and he he did have a gun involved with the other person, too, right. and a very crazy person with his own brother. So, very defensible for Joel not to have done something there, or at least, like, tried but failed, but in his head, like, that's a failure, and every every failure is just haunting him now. 
Right. And it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's um, another brick in the wall. It's the straw. It's another straw on the, on the camel's back, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it's finally reaching a level that he can't handle it anymore. It's breaking right. through his psychology. It's breaking down his psychology. Right. The quiet man is starting to leak out a little bit, leak out a little bit of emotion. I really like this uh, fade to black. They did a slow fade, fade to black with Henry here, and then we slow fade to white and a uh, snowy landscape, and then we get a little title card that tells us that it's three months later, and then we see a log cabin and a man returning from a hunt with a brace of conies. Where else have we seen a brace of conies? Hmm. As the man enters a cabin, his wife signals that there is danger. Joel steps out of the shadows and orders the man to disarm. They engage in some pointed banner as Ellie comes down from the upstairs. Who's this little psycho? <laughs> yeah, this was a really fun scene. This was the friendliest hostage situation I've ever seen. Absolutely. Like the most businesslike. <laughs> yeah. I love how the wife just was just done with it. She's right. He goes, you made them soup? Well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. We're already here, guys. Why don't we right. just... Let's just move on, I guess. So this is uh, Graham Greene and Elaine Miles, and both of them have uh, pretty long filmographies. I mean, Graham Greene is like a, a legend, and Elaine Miles has been in a lot of stuff. Not as I didn't recognize a lot of the shows or movies that she was in, but uh, she has got a long uh, working and distinguished working career. Joel demands that they point out their location on the map, and um, the situation de-escalates as they discuss the state of affairs in the surrounding region. This is scary to me. Like, this mm -hmm. would scare me, is being lost in an uncertain area where... I, and again, we saw that Joel was scared in that scene, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not scared. He is. Right. And I'm feeling Joel's anxiety because, I don't know, I mean, enclosed spaces scare me sometimes, but this is almost scarier. It's like, nobody's around except people who could hurt you. We must have missed the street signs in the enormous fucking forest. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Ellie's so cheeky. She's just throwing it in their faces. Yeah, she is. She has an attitude the size of oh my God. Mount Rushmore. What about the fireflies? We got this in the summer. Not the bugs, the people. <laughs> there are firefly people? <laughs> so are funny. they messing with her or are totally. they just that removed? No, no, they're totally messing with her because there's a look between them after that. And it's like, oh, yeah, she, they're just, she's just being a, <laughs> a wise ass right back at Ellie. So, yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. That was that was just a fun scene of, of it was. back and forth, right? There, there's something about. I mean, for them to cast Graham Greene in this as this little bit role, like that wasn't even five minutes of screen time, right? They had to get him out to the, you know, the Canadian. I think he's Canadian, but they had to get out to wherever they were filming, right? They had to, you know, it, that that's a full day of shooting, even for that short of uh, of a scene. Um, and to get, you know, both of them, that's just fun casting. I really love a lot of the choices that they're making for this overall production. Um, and they added so much to what, what's really just a bit scene. Yeah. But I think it was a great palate cleanser, too, because mm -hmm. uh, good not only did the last episode end in a tragedy, but they reminded us of it right before this scene. So good job cleansing my palate, making me feel a little refreshed after being very sad last week. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I, I, I will take that, uh, absolutely. And it was dark enough where it didn't feel out of context, right? It didn't feel right. like a hard shift, because they are holding somebody hostage at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. 
They are in the wilderness. Joel's freaked out. Ellie has an attitude, and Ellie's attitude is the comic relief and her back and forth with the wife. Right. And then uh, Graham Greene's character, like, he's uh, he's still visi- still clearly a threat and a potential threat, but they're so businesslike about it that that's even comical in and of itself. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it works. It does. It does. Good job nailing the tone there. Um, they point out on the map that they should not cross the Yellowstone, what I think is the Yellowstone River, as there are dangerous people there. Uh, and then they take their leave, and Ellie grabs one of the rabbits on their way out. I did a freeze frame grab, and he's pointing to Yellowstone National Park and the Yellowstone okay. Lake and River and crossing that. But then they end up down in Jackson. So, you know, again, they're playing a lot of jazz with the geography here. It, it works well enough for, for what we need to do. Yeah, they also could just be genuinely very lost. <laughs> well, I mean, going from, from where they were all the way then down to Jackson, like that's a huge stretch on foot. Okay. So, yeah. Well, jazz it is then. Yes, it is jazz hands. The, the river of death. <laughs> the river of death, yes. As Joel uh, and Ellie leave, they take their leave and Ellie grabs one of the rabbits on their way out. Joel has a dizzy spell and Ellie panics. I mean, I would panic, too, if I'm with a 56-year-old who's in charge of my survival and they seem like they're having a heart attack. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere with a potentially hostile uh, a couple in the, in the cabin. Right, yeah. Ellie's a good shot, but she's not a great shot. No. I was, at first I was concerned, concerned, whatever. I, I, I was like, is this a heart condition? Is he having, like, a heart attack? And I did some internet reading, and apparently a, a sudden shock of cold air can ca- exacerbate a pre-existing heart condition. Uh-huh. But then later, it's clear that it's probably just Joel is having uh, an anxiety attack from PTSD. Yeah, and I'll tell you, on the podcast, on the official podcast, they did confirm it was a panic attack. Okay. So we don't have to worry about Joel's heart just yet. All right, yeah. I was, I was like, oh, what are we going to do for a heart attack? Is there a cardiologist <laughs> around here somewhere? Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Who are you going to call? That's right. The, uh, what, what was the, the Frank said? I know. What was the what, what are you going to call the doctor? The, no, it was the, the traveling MRI salesman, I think it was the line. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That was good. That was good. Not, not happening. The traveling cardiologist. That's it. All right. Sam and Frodo, uh, I mean, Joel and Ellie, continue on their way to the river of death. <laughs> and we get some nice scenes of the Canadian outback. Finally, like they're in a place where the, you know, the, out, the, the outside shooting uh, locations match, uh, not 10 miles outside of Boston. They decide to camp for the night and Ellie asks Joel to teach her to hunt. So this is good because he's still being withholding here. So you can see mm-hmm. an obvious contrast with later. Right. Good point. Something that I wanted to mention that I, I couldn't mention earlier because I think it would have been a spoiler is that the game is divided into seasons. That's sort oh, of the okay. way that they do the main transition. So it starts mm-hmm. in spring, then it goes to fall, winter. I'll leave it up to chance if it goes further. Okay, got it. In the last episode, when she was talking to Henry, she characterized Joel as like, you know, oh, I'll just ask him a million times. And the way it goes is like, oh, no, never not going to happen. And so here she is, like, bugging him to teach her to hunt. And by the end of the episode, right, where, where she's, he's actually teaching her how to shoot a rifle. So this is Ellie's, uh, uh, um, uh, what do I want to say? This is her modus operandi here to, to wear on Joel 
slowly wear him down to eventually he'll, he'll relent. Well, she's very good at it. Sitting next to the fire, Joel attempts to repair his boots using duct tape as Ellie watches the northern lights from atop a boulder. He whistles to her to get down lest she break her neck. Joel takes a swig from a flask and Ellie asks to try some. Yep, still gross, she replies. <laughs> what does Joel have there? What do you think? Uh, where did he get that hooch? And Probably how did he Bill. nurse it for so long? I mean, that was three months ago, right? Three months plus whatever, yeah, ten whiskey days. Will, whiskey will last. Oh, yeah, whiskey will last. It's just like he's really nursed that, unless he's got some in his pack or something. That's true. That's Maybe true. the old Maybe couple just looted. It. Let's just assume that they looted it. Yeah, there you go. That works. So I have a question. Um, okay. If gas breaks down after, like, starts to break down after a year or so, then what is duct tape going to be like after 20 years? I think you have to divide the number of years by the flux capacitor, and that'll mm-hmm. give you the root of pi, which you multiply by something to get... The inverse correlation of the, the astral projection of the third trimester of the uh, Gozerian uh, uprising. That's it. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> uh, I did some more reading about duct tape, and yes, indeed, duct tape will break down because the glue... The adhesive glue will start to dry out and, and let go after uh, a while. Well, maybe that explains why he's doing such a bad job repairing <laughs> that boot. Right, exactly. He's just wrapping it and wrapping it and wrapping it. Um, do you remember the first time that you ever tasted uh, hard alcohol? Yes, it was a bad night. <laughs> <laughs> was it a taste or a, a big swig? Is It sounds like a big uh, swig. It was the aftermath, I would say. Yeah. My, uh, my folks were uh, into their gin. They really liked gin a lot. And uh, okay. I, know, I must have been I don't know, maybe a freshman or something like that. And they're upstairs watching TV and I was downstairs. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to check this stuff out. You know, they seem to be always <laughs> having it. So I, I poured some into like a ca- or a small little glass, um, uh, drinking glass. And I remember tasting it and it felt like a million ants crawling across my tongue. And I was like, I spat it out and I washed the glass out and I like tried to clean up all the evidence. You know, they never knew, but like it was, I, that was that it left an indelible mark in, on my memory of, of how awful straight gin tastes. I, I like gin mixed. Gin is not a drink that you have straight. My dad was, uh, yeah, you no, know, my dad liked his gin neat. Well, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> Not for me, thank you. Not I do like gin, either. but I, again, I like it in a drink. Exactly. All right, Ellie asked Joel, assuming that everything works out, and he could do whatever he wanted, what would he do? He says he would want to be a sheep rancher. Ellie dreams of being an astronaut like Sally effing ride. Am I allowed to do my once-monthly Goodwill hunting reference? Uh, yes, you are. This is your, um, make a mark of it. Is this February? Yeah, February. You haven't used your February allotment yet. Okay. I want to be a shepherd. <laughs> I don't even remember that line. Oh, yeah. All right. Here's a recap. So he's, uh, he's talking to Robin Williams and Robin mm-hmm. Williams says, you know, you're not using your potential kid. What do you want to be? What do you want to be in life? And Will just goes, you know, Will's a genius if you haven't seen the movie. And he goes, yes, I want to be a shepherd. Sense. And he okay. goes, you want to be a fucking shepherd? This, they have a whole meltdown. It's a whole right. thing. So anyway, that's now the line that. from Goodwill Hunting. Tune in for our recap of Ted Lasso next <laughs> month, because I'm sure there's going to be some opportunity to reference Goodwill Hunting in there. That's right. You'll have your March allotment. It's true. Um, I like that Joel, like when, when he's first asked the question, he's like, he's like wrestling with it. It's like, 
Well, it's never been an option, you know, like that I've, I've had to be able to choose whatever it is that I want or what I wanted. I mean, obviously, at some point he became a parent and some point prior to that, he, you know, he, he's always felt like he's had to look, you know, look after his younger brother, who knows what sort of family dynamic they had. He's a contractor, even remarks later about college, like, you know, kids just partying and, you know, um, uh, figuring out what they want to do with their lives. And there's a little bit of that blue collary kind of resentment, like, like I could imagine Joel never having the luxury of, of, of the time to figure out what he wanted to do in life. He could swing a hammer and right. it made sense to him. And that's what he did. He had to work to make money and to provide for and take care of, you know, the people around him. Well, I think it's very easy for Ellie to look at the past, look at the university, look in the diary that she reads, mm -hmm. and look at it as if everything was perfect, that everybody just lived easy lives. And comparatively, sure, everybody lived easy lives, but it sure didn't feel easy for most mm -hmm. people. Right. I think that most people, and justifiably, feel like they're struggling yeah. at, with at least something. Right. And Joel, you're right, probably didn't have that opportunity, probably ended up in construction, not because he wanted to, but because that was something he knew how to do, and it made him money, and it provided for his daughter. Right, exactly. But you know what? Being a contractor is very cool. We learn that later. <laughs> what do you think about sheep? Uh, they're quiet, and they do what they're told. <laughs> That's not any sheep I have ever known. He does know how to make a dig. He does. Um Mark sheep, because we see sheep three times in this story, and I'm like, hmm, like, what are they doing with that? But we'll, we can talk about it later. This is a game Easter egg, but I can't talk about it because it's a spoiler for okay. very far ahead. <laughs> okay, got it. I think it's interesting, for, well, just, to, just to briefly touch on it here, there's a lot of dream-related stuff here, like what if and what could be, what was and what, um, what is yet to come. and. Joel talks about dreams, and he can't remember dreams, and we open with something that is a dream-like sequence, potentially. And then we have sheep, right, which are associated with dreaming. So, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly. I can't put my finger on what they're doing here. And it may be very uh, uh, ephemeral. It just may be in passing. But they're, they're definitely um, some parallels of things. You know, there's some connectivity here between these, these things. Yeah, I like that. I like that they have Joel doing his goodwill hunting answer and sort of kind of opening up to Ellie, but I guess we learn later he's not really opening up to her. But David, I see you have some notes here. Yes. Can you tell me about Sally fucking Ride, as Ellie calls Sally her? Sally Ride. She's the first American woman in space. She was the third after uh, two other cosmonauts, Tereshkova and uh, Savitskaya. Uh, okay. She was also the youngest American astronaut. And she was the first LGBTQ uh, astronaut as well. Ah. She was originally married to a man in her early career days. And then later she um, uh, was partnered with a woman who I believe was a professional tennis player or somehow involved in, in professional tennis. Interesting. And well, she, she did a lot, didn't she? She did. And she died at the age of 61 of pancreatic cancer in 2012. Oh, that's sad. She uh, helped invent the robotic arm on the space shuttle. She flew, uh, I can't remember how many missions now, but she was on uh, a couple of important commissions and like looking after the Challenger and Discovery um, um, accidents. Um, and yeah, was just a major force in NASA and physics and um, a real American hero, actually. Actually. Well, very cool. Any other thoughts about this scene? Nope. 
All right, well, I think it's time we take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll move on with this campfire. And we're back. So I'm going to take over the recap now because we traded off on outlining. Ellie expresses doubt about the possible cure. She tells Joel about her failed attempt to save Sam with her blood. Joel reassures her that it's probably a lot more complicated than that, and that if Marlene says they can do it, they can do it. Yeah, not ch- it's not much to say here other than... Um... It, I, I think, you know, Ellie being honest about what happened with Sam, I think that's a big opening. And um, her being straightforward with Joel and being honest about her fears and, and stuff that had happened. Um, and interesting, Joel doesn't recriminate her or admonish right. her. He just accepts it. Three months later, too. Yeah. Yeah. Three months. That's right. Like, what the hell? What? You didn't tell me that? Right. Like, justifiably, you could be upset by uh, receiving that news. Right, exactly. And I think that this is in line with the emotional tone he struck with when she shot the man in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, it's, you know, it's not your fault. You had to, you know, whatever he had to say to her. I think that he was very like, oh, you shouldn't have had to do that. He was really trying to not incriminate her, recriminate her, as you said. That sounds like a, um, an opening for a Johnny Cash song. I shot a man once in Kansas City. <laughs> it probably is. I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. That's one. Yeah, that's a yeah. real Johnny Cash. That's a real one, right? I'm saying so. Like, let's just move up to Kansas City, and you know, that's true. Joel tells Ellie he will take both watches. We cut to him sleeping with Ellie keeping watch, and she seems to have learned some survival skills. Joel insists that she wake him up if that happens again. I'm responsible for you, okay? Then don't fall asleep. We're really starting to see, as an uh, you know, an over fifty year old uh, adult human being. Uh, I can sympathize with Joel here. Uh, there's only so much sleeping on the cold, hard ground that you can take uh, after a while before it starts to really wear on you. And I, and I love the fact that when he's standing in front of her and they're having this conversation, he really looks like he just woke up. His face yeah. is puffy. He's got that bleary-eyed look. Pedro Pascal is doing a great job with all of the facial acting this season. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait to see the facial acting he does with the Mandalorian next <laughs> I was just going to say, that's in contrast to the Mandalorian. Well, maybe if he quits that silly cult, we'll see his head a little bit more. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Will he? Find out. March 1st. Yeah, stick around. Joel and Ellie approach the River of Death and find no one around. Ellie fails to whistle, then asks Joel to teach her how to hunt. He thinks she can handle the shooting, but not the dressing. They come across a dam used to make electricity, which Joel cannot explain. I love this line. You know, you could have just made something up. I would have believed you. <laughs> well, John, you're no Will Livingston. <laughs> but, but who is he? Like, I love her reply. She's like, yeah, but who is he? And it's like, we don't know. Is, is Will Livingston a real author? Is, is that just a completely made up thing? I don't know. I took it as the show winking to me a little bit. So I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, maybe. I think she's just a big admirer of the Livingston. Yeah. Um, interesting note about the word dressing uh, when she's talking about, you know, undressing the deer. The, uh, the field dressing or dressing um, is a derivative of Old French, the word dresser, which means to arrange or prepare. 
And so when it was used to uh, preparing food, and especially wild-caught game or things like that, the, the word just sort of uh, rolled down from there. And so we call that field dressing then, when you um, remove the innards from an animal so that it doesn't spoil the meat. And, uh, easy, and it makes it easier to um, carry if you're like way inland somewhere where, you're, where you've been hunting. And all that linguistic traveling and morphing, just to have a Texan go, dressing. Yeah, exactly. Which is the same word, right? It's the it's the same meaning, dressing. Yeah, yeah, pretty it's funny. Some dressing with that. Yeah, yeah. I will say this about Joel and Ellie's relationship here. I think that Joel still really underestimates Ellie because mm. Ellie has shown herself to not be as squeamish about violence as his daughter Sarah was. Because mm-hmm. remember, we've talked about the contrast between Sarah seeing Joel kill somebody and uh, Ellie seeing Joel kill somebody in defense of her. Mm-hmm. Ellie liked it. Ellie was excited by somebody protecting her. Sarah mm-hmm. was horrified. And right. I think that Ellie does have it in her to do the dressing, as Joel mm-hmm. would say. Yeah. She's a natural, as she said in the previous scene. So Joel and Ellie come across another river and realize they're lost. As they look around, a group of armed people on horseback surround them. Uh, John, don't you mean to say a patrol of Rohirrim? Well... <laughs> I've, I've already made, we've already made too many Tolkien references, and I have more later down the outline. Oh, we do? Okay, because we've had a brace of conies, we've had uh, Sam and Frodo walking across a bleak landscape, and now we've got a, a patrol of Rohirrim. What, I'm curious what else we have. Oh, there's more. Don't you worry. Excellent. They send a dog to sniff Joel and Ellie for infection, and Joel freezes up while he worries about Ellie's bite being detected. When Joel mentions he's looking for his brother, a woman asks his name. After finding out it's Joel, the two ride back with them. Kind of feels like they uh, strayed, uh, the, the Last of Us production uh, folks strayed into the uh, production area of the uh, Taylor Sheridan Yellowstone uh, uh, TV <laughs> series. This is very out westy, right? Hats and rifles yeah. and horses. Well, you know what? You have to create a society that can function in low tech, but you still want some tech. I guess horses are a good option. Yeah. Can't, can't have good gasoline around. No, you cannot. That, that certainly is true. Have you watched any of the Yellowstone series? Or in its I have spin-offs? not, but I've seen okay. shots of it, so I know what you mean. Yeah, it seems to be like the biggest watched show right now. Uh, Weird. Consistently. Yeah, it's like massive. It's like it's like beating NCIS and uh, Law and Order and all of those shows like hands down. And I've not seen one minute of the series or any of its spinoffs. And apparently it's the biggest thing on television. Well, okay. Write in if you like it, because I have not heard any of this, this kerfluffle about it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Interesting when um, Joel was starting to have sort of uh, the anxiety attack as the dog was moving towards Ellie. I don't know if you noticed in the sound effects, but there was a, a ringing sound that sounded yeah. like when I heard it, I was like, God, am, am I, am I okay? Like, cause it sounded exactly like the ring that you would have in your own hearing if you were, you know, when something's going wrong. Well, I will say, I think that we need a better or more varied way to show a panic attack in TV and film, because mm. that's the same thing that they do in Ted Lasso. Right, right. I think, that, I think that we need to be a little bit more creative, guys. Mm, okay, we'll have to work on that. Question, is this the first uh, real interaction that Ellie's ever had with a dog? Like, ever? Probably. Yeah, probably, because she was in a QZ her whole life. I think mm-hmm. that they're probably not going to waste food on a dog when they're giving out ration cards. Right, yeah. And you wouldn't, 
yeah, yeah, you've got extra rations. Yeah, you've got a lot of problems if trying to keep a dog in a, in a QZ. And you don't need a fungus-sniffing dog when you have those little scanners. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, right? That's a good point about your low-tech thing as well, right? So they're, um, they don't have... Uh, well, they have electricity at their place, but yeah, maybe not all the technology. Yeah, they probably don't. It doesn't seem like they have a bunch of Fedra gear. No, not at Unlike all. Unlike the Kansas City people because they overthrew Fedra. Yeah, just 10 days ago. Back in Rivendell, I mean Jackson, <laughs> Joel and Ellie ride through a peaceful town to see Tommy up on a building doing construction work. Joel calls for Tommy and the two embrace while Ellie looks on with a troubled expression. He goes, I came here to save you. Yeah, that is such a great line. Uh, and it's such a, a moment. Like, it doesn't feel forced. Um, right. It, it feels earned, but it also feels fraught with the potential. Like, what's going to happen now? You know, this is def- a definite inflection point. Yeah, great line. You know, what, what are you doing here? I'm, I'm here to save you. And as we find out later, it's really the opposite. I think Joel is here to, to be saved, not to, to save. Yeah, well, I mean, I love Pedro Pascal's performance here where he, he's basically half laughing. As he said, mm-hmm. I came here to save you. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's half <laughs> laughing with a twinkle of a tear in his eye. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I could make my face do that. Really great. I, this, it shows how, you know, he's, he's laughing it off because Tommy is living better than he could have imagined living mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. world. And I think he's, he's laughing out of relief because Tommy is ready to embrace him too. And you could tell that at that point. Right. Yeah, it was it was a really beautiful interaction. That all that sort of worry and angst and anxiety and yeah, you know, what's happened to him and where did we leave things in our last the last time and why haven't you contacted me? Yeah, there's a lot of complexity there. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have Ellie in the background. Right, right. What does this she's mean? She's not seething. She's not seething, but she is troubled. She's mm-hmm. worried, I think, because so far, Joel has been only giving her attention, and I mm-hmm. do think that she feels a little bit threatened by Tommy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. I read it more as like, you know, they've been in this magical bubble of just traveling the land together, and now finding Tommy is sort of one of the, you know, uh, uh, quest goals for, for their, their trip here. And that means that they're not far away from the Firefly thing as well, which means that this time together is coming to an end. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's more than one thing. I think it's, it's what you're saying as well, because suddenly like, oh, how is he going to relate to me now that Tommy's back in his life? And I think it's also, our, we've progressed with our quest, and the next stage of the quest is to deliver me so I can be a guinea pig. And so this halcyon days of Joel and I just out living off the land are coming to an end. Yeah, and she, I, I think that's a good point because she thinks that the Firefly base in Colorado, I guess she doesn't know that yet, but later in the episode, she's going to know, like, we are close to this. We are mm-hmm. close to where we're going. Ended up being not true, but it very likely could have been. Right. So I think this is supposed to actually be the town of Jackson, Wyoming. Okay. And it feels like a pretty cool place. <laughs> like, this is a, a, like, could imagine being out in the wilderness and having to worry about an infected and raiders and all kinds of crazy stuff. 
And then, like, you roll into this place, and they got a freaking Christmas tree? Come on. Would you rather live with Bill and Frank mm. or live in Jackson? Oh, Jackson. No question. No okay. question. I mean, Bill and Frank are great. I wish Bill and Frank lived down the road from Jackson. Like, that would be awesome to go hang out and have garden parties with them. But I'm going to take Jackson, you know? Uh, yeah, the, just having that larger society and uh, uh, the ability to do more stuff because of the uh, diversity and density of, of uh, other people, uh, all that skill, knowledge, and base that would be embedded in that, the ability to really extend your uh, reach uh, to create a, a place. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely take Jackson. I think that's right. Jackson is a little bit higher of a risk, but I think it's much higher of a reward. Yeah, for sure. Joel and Ellie wolf down some food while Ellie curses like a sailor. Ellie tells off a local teenager watching her. Joel asks for family time, and Maria reveals she is family. She's Tommy's wife. They discuss the need to keep Jackson hidden. Interesting. So, again, complexities within complexities, right? So... Here we have like a really funny scene of them just like, um, 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 um. and then uh, I think what did you, what did Ellie say? She said, "I don't think I've ever actually had a proper meal, <laughs> right?" <laughs> that looked like some you know good grub, and when you've been out on the on the uh, on the wilds like that, you know, to to sit down at a table with like silverware, like that's awesome. Well, she never had the opportunity to eat at Bill's table. That's true. Uh, that is a very true. That is a very true true point. Now, all right, would you rather eat one of Bill's meals or eat one of Maria's meals? Uh, I'd probably have to go with Bill's um, because that Agreed. looked like cafeteria line food. So Yeah. I mean, it, it, when, you're, when you're used to jerky. Yeah. Absolutely sure. amazing. Yeah. Chef Boyardee. 20-year-old Chef Boyardee at that. Well, I think that, yeah, I would, I would definitely like either one at that point, but would definitely pick Bill if I had the choice. Um, well, maybe Bill had a restaurant. If Bill had a restaurant in Jackson, that would be pretty good. That would be good. I could see him running the bar. Yeah, for sure. He would hate it, but I could see him doing it. He's, he's the curmudgeon who runs the bar. <laughs> the fun, yes, the fun curmudgeon who you pour your heart out to. Um, Maria's comments and the, the look that she sort of shares with Joel makes me think that Tommy is told... Maria about their past and about some of the stuff that they used to do. I think so too, especially based on her conversation with Ellie later. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do want to just give a shout out to uh, Rutina Wesley, who's the actress who plays Maria. I really hope we don't lose her anytime soon. This is the crazy thing is like the casting has been so good in this show and we keep losing these great characters or these great uh, actors. And I just wish we would retain some of them from time to time. Because uh, I'm really enjoying the performances. Yeah, I told you early on, anyone could die at any time in this anytime, show. Anytime. Anytime. It's frustrating. Anyone could die. Anyway. It's frustrating, but it's real, right? It's, it's yeah. real in this world, and it makes it feel like the stakes are real every time we get into a conflict. Absolutely. So one note about this scene. There is an advantage of doing the show after the two games are out, because... They are able to introduce things from the second game that they didn't even have in their heads when they made the first game. Okay. So, I don't, I'm not going to call this a spoiler because it's basically just probably a casting thing for season two. Uh-huh. The girl who was looking at Ellie, yes. who Ellie told off, mm -hmm. is a character who plays a part in the second game. 
Okay. It seems like. Now, the showrunners have been coy about it. Uh-huh. They go, it might be her. It might not be her. Uh, right. But you okay. know what? All right. Yeah. It's her. It's yeah, her. Yeah. It looks okay. exactly like the character in the game. It's, yeah, it, it's okay. her. She's a good character, too. I'm glad that they're introducing her early. I hope we get more of her. Okay. So it, it um, yeah, there's not a lot of, uh, this show is very lean. There's not a lot of fat. Um, right. There's not a lot of extraneous stuff. So if they introduce something like that, typically you could hopefully uh, guess that that's going to be, it's going to lead to something later. And it lines up with a story that's told later, too. So I'm glad that they did this now. I think that it will pay off later. So I'm, gl- I'm glad that I saw that. I went, oh, my gosh, it's her. Okay. As cool. soon as that happened. So Maria and Tommy give the group a tour of Jackson. They explain the wilderness protects them from most infected. And they built Jackson from a gated community. They have a school, laundry, jail, electric, sewage, plumbing, water heater, and movies and more. Maria also explains that this is a democratic commune, and she's on the council. <laughs> it is like that, literally. This is a commune. We are communists. <laughs> Tommy's yeah. look on his face was just like, what? <laughs> well, clearly Tommy and Joel come from a culture that mm-hmm. was very red scary, I think. Yeah. And the minute that you say communist, their alarm bells go off. But she, <laughs> Maria goes, no, that's exactly what we're doing, dummy. We're, this is a commune. <laughs> It was so good. Yeah, they also introduced the horse Shimmer, who is who plays a big role, I think, in, in both games, who, who is involved at least a little bit in both games. Again, not, not really a, a, a player in the plot because it's a horse, but mm. it's, uh, it's nice to see that there's, again, more Easter eggs from the games. Okay. It was at the full that they, she was petting? Yeah. Okay. Ellie and Joel are split up to Ellie's displeasure. Tommy and Joel have a heart-to-heart over some home-brewed whiskey. Joel asks for Tommy's help transporting Ellie to the Firefly base at the University of Eastern Colorado Tommy knows about. Tommy cannot go because Maria is pregnant. Tommy and Joel argue, mm-hmm. but Tommy holds his ground. Lot of great dialogue in this scene. Mm, yeah, by implication. Is that what I am? Am I the wrong people? There's a lot to unpack right. in this right. in the brothers relationship here about being, you know, you know, why you left, why you didn't stay in touch with me, why you didn't let me know about this place. Like, here I was just sucking it up in the QZ, in the Boston QZ, and you're like living out here pretty, uh, pretty sweet. And he couldn't even radio Joel and say, I'm fine, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. That right. would have been nice to do. Right. Just some close, yeah, not, not even, yeah, closure, I don't know what it would be, just like assurance. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't need to tell him where he was. He could have just said, look, I'm fine. Is that a 70s song? Leave me alone. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. I I fell in love. Uh, Yeah, all is good. Bye. And then there's the, all the baggage that they're carrying, the moral injury that they um, are carrying for all this stuff that they did. As he says, you know, we survived the only way we knew how. And there were other ways, and we just weren't good at them. It's like, okay, yeah, I accept that we did this stuff, but it means something. It's not stuff. Like, what does he say? He says he even says it's not stuff. Yeah, like, we, we murdered people, people. He says mm-hmm. we survived the only way we knew how. There were other ways. We just weren't any good at them. Yeah, what a great line. I mean, this is him taking accountability, but also, mm-hmm. yeah, sort of saying there was a better way. This is it, buddy. 
this is it around me. Mm -hmm. We just didn't know how to do Mm -hmm. it. It was fresh. It was, we were new. All we knew was how to fight, but I don't do that anymore. I'm not that person anymore. Which makes all the more interesting the line that I'm here to save you, where it's really, you know, Tommy's been saved, right? It's Joel who's the one who's needs saving. Right. Um, and brutal, this line, just because life stopped for you doesn't mean it has to stop for me. Oh, man, like, what a gut punch. Yeah, it was, it was hard to hear. And it was really hard for Joel to yeah. hear. I mean, wow, wow. They were, they were both awful to each other, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, Joel's just being an asshole here, too, about like not even congratulating yeah. uh, Tommy on becoming a father, about to becoming a father, being a father at that stage, I guess. Look, it was traumatic what happened to Joel, and I could not imagine. But that doesn't mean you get to trauma dump and, and sort of darken the day of other people experiencing joy, especially your brother. Oh, my gosh. Right. Complete jerk. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see. Or it's yet to be seen. What did he, I forget what he says. Something about, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. That was just not cool. Very hard scene, but I think that Tommy is certainly the bigger man in both scenes that they, that they have their heart-to-hearts. Yeah. This, this, uh, He's really grown. He's really Yeah, grown. definitely. I think Tommy deserves to be the older brother now. I, you know what? I think that sibling relationships should really be more of a, a merit-based system instead of a, an age-based system. <laughs> That's what I'm proposing. No, no hereditary rights. That's right. right. Yeah, that's right. To dominate just because the I'm best the sibling becomes the oldest. Interesting. Oh, well, then now we have a whole other yardstick to measure uh, with what kind of success. There you go. Anyway, so Joel has another panic attack and sees someone with Sarah's hair. There is a little girl with her that's old enough to be his granddaughter. When he sees that it's not Sarah, he snaps out of it. Yeah, just more, uh, and it's every time he goes outside, it seems to hit him, sort of the cold air, the shock, the reality, uh, sort of brings on these panic attacks. Yeah, but it also lines up with sort of mounting anxiety events. I think mm-hmm. that the Sarah's hair thing distracted him rather than spurred the event, but the, I think so. the, I what think spurred so. the event, I think, is, wow, I'm terrified that I'm going to get Ellie killed. And now I know mm-hmm. that I can't count on my brother to help me. Well, he even lied to Tommy when he's um, when Tommy asked about Tess. Yeah, and um, you know, so like, yeah, you're right. I mean, so that's just a, one other little thing out of that conversation that is again just doing harm and sort of these little micro traumas that are happening. And uh, uh, he just keeps driving down this road. And so, yeah, coming out of that conversation, like, ugh. Like, how does he feel, right? He's, he's made the situation worse in some ways. Well, I think he's trying his usual tough man routine. And when it doesn't work, right. that's when later he right. goes, all right, maybe I'll try a little bit of honesty. Mm-hmm. Or is he manipulating later? That's an open question, I think. No, I think it's honest, but we can get to it. we'll get to it when we get there, I think. So Ellie comes out of the shower and finds a diva cup and a note from Maria that she's across the street. I love that they are actually tackling the problem of menstruation in, a, yes. in Apocalypse. They did it with the tampons earlier in the season. The Diva Cup is a much more practical thing in this world, I would say. And yeah, no, good job. Yeah, and, and small practical details like your shoes falling apart, like getting a haircut, like there's all of these little things, but they're not doing it in a way that grinds the story down, but... In, instead sort of elevates and illuminates it and makes us think about things practical and um, 
and uh, 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 realistic. I don't know. It's, I'm not sure what the word I'm trying to find here is, but like it it grounds the whole production yeah. because we're dealing with a, a very real world and not a fantastic Well, it's one. sort of the difference between Star Wars and The Expanse, right? In Star Wars, you got mm-hmm. a back to tank to heal you. In The Expanse, if you have a stroke during a flight, you're dead. Right. Yeah. No matter how many how much juice has been pumped into your veins, right? right? Yeah. You might you might have an auto dock, but it's not. Uh, yeah. It's not the force. You're not going to use the force to fly through space and back into a broken right. window. Sorry. <laughs> that was one scene that really. Bothered me. <laughs> Two quick things. Um, I love the detail of the paper that uh, Maria wrote the note on. It looks handmade paper, right? And I think we see later in town when they're walking through, we see big sheets of white stuff that's folded over on a, a door, uh, like a shop window. And so it's just more of that realism of like, yeah, if we want paper, we've got to make That's it. interesting. I didn't pick up on that. So thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the pin board in the room that Ellie's taking a shower in um, is a great contrast for... So Ellie would be about the same age as the former occupant of this room. Mm-hmm. And what's on this pin board, like who are the hottest guys and pictures of, you know, and, and like, you know, all kinds of social stuff, right? Relating to that person's social circles. And, you know, here's Ellie, who's radically far away from that kind of stuff. But it's just, it, it, it sets a nice contrast to what we would expect a teenager of that age to be versus what Ellie's had to deal with in this world, you know, post-fungal apocalypse. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think that it's great that she is getting to see things through the eyes of the pre-outbreak people. At Maria's home, Ellie sees a memorial honoring Kevin and Sarah, both of whom died in 2003. I just wanted to note, Sarah died on midnight after outbreak day. It was pretty funny on the podcast, uh, the host, which is Troy Baker, who posts, who played Joel in the video game, says, I don't want to nitpick, but Neil, outbreak day was <laughs> September 26th. And Neil goes, yeah, she died after midnight. Like, like there was just an answer. They are really paying attention to right, details right. here. <laughs> and Kevin, I noticed, awesome. was three years old and died a few days yeah. later. Yeah. Rough. Wow. That's, a, that's so hard to think about Maria with that. Yeah. Maria gives Ellie a super fucking purple jacket and makes sure she got the Diva Cup. She gives Ellie a hair trim and tells her that she was an assistant district attorney in Omaha, Nebraska. Ellie learns about Sarah. Maria cautions Ellie about Joel, but Ellie defends him. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. Woo! That is some uh, intense life wisdom right there. Sure is. Sure is. And, and I think that that is uh, maybe a theme of the show. <laughs> and, you know, interestingly, she counterpoints uh, to Tommy, you know, maybe that she's smarter than Tommy. No offense. Right? Like the man you married. Maria doesn't argue with that. Mm-mm, she doesn't. <laughs> I think, I think Maria funny. knows who her husband is. You don't, you yeah, don't need I, to. I, I think I, so. People don't need to be equal intelligence to love each other. Um, I, I love how Maria is just very practical, too, and is taking care of things like menstruation and haircuts and clothing. She's like, where's all my other stuff? Rag pile. Right. Like, that stuff was filthy. It was terrible. Maria is, is but then at the same time, she's like, hey, let's go check out the movie, right? She's just that complete mom package. Yeah. And I love her. <laughs> like, I want to be, be her neighbor. Maria, from how I knew her in the game, 
I always thought of her as sort of the everybody's mom of the town. Uh-huh. And I think that they captured that here. Even though she had that yeah. run in with Joel, she is a very loving and very good person and a very strong pillar of this community. Interesting that she is a uh, DA mm-hmm. because Tommy and Joel certainly did some law breaking stuff back in the day, right? Like, sure, it's post apocalypse, you know, whatever, but. Yeah. Like, there's a contrast here between Maria and Joel. And then when Maria defends Tommy, she's saying, well, Tommy was just following along with Joel, right? So that's, I can excuse that. Whereas Joel is the opposite of her, right? From law and order and chaos, you know, like, you know, yeah, these guys murdered to survive. And she put away, you know, murderers and robbers back pre-pandemic. Joel is the one who knocks. Yeah. (laughs) Walter White. It's true. One thing I'll I'll address is I think some people were taking issue with that she was an assistant district attorney 20 years ago, and now she's pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm. So realistically, she probably could have been, unless she graduated high school early and did a lot of things early, she could have been an assistant district attorney, which is is usually a starting position, I believe. It's not, it's not right. the, it's not like a high up position. It's, it's, I am one of the mm-hmm. staff attorneys. So she was probably like 24, 25 if she was just starting. Now, it is kind of scary to have a 45 year old pregnant in, in the apocalypse. Right. Not that you right. can't have okay. a healthy baby in your mid 40s, but you, you should, you know, you need some medical care. You need, you need an OBGYN who knows what yeah. they're doing so that you, you yeah, know how you to take care of yourself. That. Right. It's a, it's a complicated thing, pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and you definitely need good care. And this is her second. Right. All right. So a little jazz hands there with some of the time. Yeah. I, I can do I, 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 I'm not that bothered by it, to be honest. Yeah. No, not at all. So Ellie goes to the movies and sees The Goodbye Girl. So this was interesting. I went down a little bit of a, uh, a uh, research hole, Wikipedia hole here. Uh, because, like, why are they picking this film? Uh, of all uh-huh. films that they could have played. And like, weirdly that Jackson got a hold of a, a, a you know, like, did they go rummaging around the town movie theater and, and found this? Like, like, there's not a lot of pickings, I can imagine. Right. But The Goodbye Girl is a 1977 Neil Simon screenplay, and it starred Richard Dreyfuss, who won the Best Actor for his role. And it was the first rom-com that grossed over $100 million. So it was kind of a big deal. Interesting. And in my opinion, the, the film itself is kind of a piece of the 70s era maudlin rom-com films that like actually kind of dealt with real world issues like of loneliness and abandonment and uh, anxiety and depression, Annie Hall, Harold and Maude, you know, these, these kinds of films. So it was... It, 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 it wasn't like a, a Harry met. I mean, Harry met Sally, okay, or Sleepless in Seattle. It's not these sort of silly. I think we're drifting there into where we're, the rom coms that we have now are uh, more uh, egg white f- froth than uh, dealing grappling with some real stuff, even though it's wrapped in a in a rom com package. But I think the the thing about this film, where I what I picked up on it was. That um, so the, the quick plot synopsis is Richard Dreyfus 
has a right to the apartment that the mom and the daughter are living in because the boyfriend of that woman left and they all end up having to make a, a, a apartment sharing arrangement. And then he falls in love and then sort of becomes a dad to the precocious kid who's played by Quinn Cummings. And so a big part of that film is the relationship between Richard Dreyfuss and, and Quinn Cummings, right. uh, Lucy. Uh, and in the scene, even there, Richard Dreyfuss is uh, introducing himself to Lucy and saying that we're going to be roommates because I, I'm the one who actually has legal occupancy of this apartment, even though you live in it. So to me, that's all this Joel-Ellie relationship. You're absolutely right, because on the podcast, they address this on the official podcast, and they said that it hey! was, and you're pretty much spot on, they said that it was that it was a, a romantic movie, but the relationship that stuck out to them in the movie was not the romantic one, but the relationship between the main male character and the child. I'll take my internet winnings There you go. Now, my internet point winnings now. Absolutely. I'm, I'm nice flush. Work. I'm flush now. Thank you. Interestingly enough, the last little weird tidbit here is that this was Neil Simon's next film after a very funny film uh, and very dated film called Murder by Death, which is an absolute hoot of a send up on the whole whodunit murder mystery thing, which is we're getting a revival of because Ryan Johnson is doing the Knives Out and Glass Onion stuff. And so, you know, he's copying from a tradition that had long existed before, and Murder by Death is a pinnacle of that genre piece there. It's a, it's a very funny send-up of the, um, you know, chief detective, you know, uh, person uh, solving the mystery. Very cool. Well, while Ellie is at the movies, I think it's time we take a break. And we're back and ready to rejoin Joel. Joel struggles to repair his boots. Tommy brings him a new pair and apologizes to him. Joel opens up to Tommy about his panic attacks and his fear of losing Ellie. He recounts every failure he had protecting her on the way to Tommy. Joel tells Tommy about Ellie's immunity and the real reason he is transporting her. He begs Tommy to take her and he agrees. Joel swears Tommy to secrecy. Ellie hears the end of the conversation. I just know when I wake up, I've lost something. Yeah, dummy, you've lost your humanity. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I feel for Joel. I feel for Joel. But yeah, you definitely have lost some stuff. Yeah. Well, I, what I, I thought that he was talking about his dreams was he can't remember his dreams, but he, know that he, lost, he knows that he lost Ellie in his dreams. He knows that he failed her in his mm. dreams. I, I took it as, as just, yeah, he's, he's lost his way. He's lost his humanity. He's lost his purpose. Uh, I, I took it in the much larger meta context for him. Yeah. He's lost his humanity. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's really struggling with his PTSD here. And, and you know, his, his body's getting old. Like, you could see him, like, trying to pry the soul off of his boot, and he just doesn't have the grip strength in his hand. He's been living with these multiple catastrophic failures. The moral injury of you know murdering uh, in innocence and uh, and guilty alike you know and and just surviving in a post apocalyptic mm -hmm. fungal world like yeah he's really messed up physically and mentally yeah you know the body carries all of that stuff yeah he and he hasn't been forced to confront it in so long because 
He was no. taking pills and alcohol every night. And then during the day, he was just taking <laughs> every right. job he could so that he never had to do anything but keep his eyes forward. And just survived one deal to the next. Right. Just rolling forward. And these relationships yeah. are forcing him to confront who he is. Yeah. And I think something that's really interesting here that struck me was Tommy being authentic and honest is what helps Joel unlock his emotional inner world, his inner state in this moment. It's kind of a cliche-ish line-ish in some ways, but it's really what struck me. It's a Shakespeare quote, to thine own self be true. And, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of people focus on that part of it, but I think what's more important is the, the back half of this, which is, and it must follow as the day-night, thou cannot not then be false to any man. So the way I'm reading that through is Tommy's being honest about his own behaviors and actions, and he's apologizing for something that he said in the heat of the moment, and he's being very forthright and honest. And it's hard to not be honest in return when somebody's being that honest to right. you. And I think that, that that is the final key that unlocks Joel where he can finally be honest with somebody and express really what's going on. And it's a really monumental moment for both of these characters. I almost think about how actors talk about how good scenes are made and how when one actor is really giving the emotion into the scene, mm -hmm, it is mm -hmm. so much easier to give it back, to tap into that energy. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Tommy is giving Joel that opportunity here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then when Tommy just sits down, he says, all right, you know, from the beginning, yeah, right, I'm here, I'm listening to you, I'm present in the moment with you now. Like, lay it on me, lay it all on me. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that some of the narrative, Joel's narrative was overlaid with uh, Ellie walking through town. Yeah. But then I guess, I, you know, and I guess I just missed that whole thing of like how Ellie ended up hearing part of their conversation. But I guess she did. They didn't show her outside of the door, I don't think. It was just showing no. her walking through the town. I only put that there because later we find out she definitely did because she confronts Joel about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a couple of issues here, though, okay. too, uh, like uh, in, 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 in universe issues that I would, you know, might do differently if I were in their, these guys' okay. position. N number one, I absolutely do not support the decision not to tell Maria about Ellie. Like, you're going to get your brother to go on this secret mission and to leave his pregnant wife, who is a leader in this community and is a damn smart, fine woman, uh, just a damn fine, smart spouse, right? Regardless of gender, like, this is a person that I think you could trust and rely on. And if you told her that Ellie was immune, like, you know, I think she would deal appropriately with that. And then the other thing is... Um, if Maria's out riding patrol and she's a couple of months pregnant, what the hell, Tommy, you can go down, you can go riding like, like there's a little, you know, uh, imbalance there. That's a, it's a more of a nitpicky thing. I'll defend that one. I think that the riding patrol is to gatekeep this community and to make sure mm. that people don't find out about it who have bad intentions and to rescue people. Right, who fine. And so that serves a purpose of protecting the community. All that Tommy, as far as she knows, because she doesn't know about the immunity, 
all that Tommy is doing by going with Joel is risking exposure of the community, risking somebody follows him back or risking that he dies. Okay, okay. And so I, I think that there right. is a defense of that, why he and she would be allowed to go on patrol and serve the community rather than taking these unnecessary risks. But I agree with you. Tell Maria the stakes and she'll probably go, oh, my God, go right now. Right. Right. Or let's let's um, let's take a small group right. of people and maybe, you know, tell them some of the mission, not all of the right. mission. But like we've got to get, uh, you know, Ellie to, you know, or we've got to get these guys to that. They have information or something. Right. You know, we've got to get them to the to the Firefly yeah. base um, and then send them with a patrol in force, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed on your on your critique. Thank you. <laughs> I was just like, no, you don't do the secrecy thing. Don't. Like, oh, it drove me Are crazy. Are you telling me that Joel is withholding? Oh, my God. In the biggest way, right? Yeah. Um, so, old habits die hard. Joel goes to talk with Ellie, who is reading the diary of someone before the outbreak. She confronts him about what she heard and tells him she's not Sarah. Joel intentionally hurts her to push her away. He then remembers Sarah before falling asleep. I'm not her, you know. Don't. The, this other line is what they said instead of don't in the game. You are treading on some mm -hmm. mighty thin ice. They replaced it with don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I like it. I okay. think that the way that they said it in the podcast was that does not make sense for this Joel. This is a different Joel than the Joel mm -hmm. in the game. And mm -hmm. Pedro Pascal saying that would have felt silly. Right, right. A little too wordy, yeah. where he would have just been, you know, dropped the stop sign in the middle of the conversation. Yeah, it, tough, uh, tough scene. Um, because, you know, here she is, you know, uh, once again, like being treated like cargo. Okay, fine. It was like that at the beginning, but here we are now. We're different people now. And then you're, you're, you're dumping me off on your brother. And again, his dishonesty is not serving. Right. If he's like, I can't shoot straight anymore. I'm having panic. Like if he was honest with her in this moment saying, I'm having panic attacks, I'm falling asleep, I'm physically incapable, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I can go any much further. That would be a very different conversation as opposed to, you know, uh, no, you know, you you just we have to separate, you just have to go. And then like get into the whole thing of like, you're 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 not my kid. Right. Well, Joel can't be vulnerable unless he is out of options. This is a scene that they took almost word for word from the game. This is the only one that they did that with in the show, in this episode, I think. Okay. Something that I will mention is that, and they talked about this again on the official podcast, is that when they were shooting the scene in the game, they kept shooting it and shooting it, and they couldn't get it right. They couldn't get the emotion right. And they came mm -hmm. back from a break, and Ashley Johnson, who plays Ellie in the game, she goes and she shoves Troy Baker as Joel mm -hmm. while giving that line. And that is when they said, we got the take. We got the energy right. Like, this is, this is what we needed. We needed her to be aggressive. This is the line here. Right. Everybody I have ever, everybody I have cared for has either died or left me. Everybody fucking except for you. So don't tell me that I'd be safer with somebody else because the truth is I would just be more scared. And something that they pointed out again in the, in the podcast is everybody fucking except for you is, is not a good sentence construction. But this right. was improvised right. by Ashley Johnson in the game. And 
And the the mm-hmm. reason that they kept it was it feels natural. It feels like someone upset who's making grammatical mistakes because she just needs to get some curses out and needs to express her anger as fast as possible. <laughs> right. You're going to drop that F-bomb in there to really accentuate the, the emotional impact that you're trying to drive. Right. right. Absolutely. And I love this, uh, I would just be more scared. Yeah. Wow. 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 That's, that's an intense line yeah. right there. She's opening up to him. She's very honest with yeah. him here. Right. And it's a, it's a weird kind of radical honesty, too, where, you, you know, you're right, you're not my daughter, and I'm sure, I sure the hell ain't your dad. In a way, that's true. Yeah. Right? Because the more that he relates to her as Sarah, and the more that she relates to him as some sort of mythical dad figure, uh-huh. the less that they are related to each other in reality. And so instead of relating to Joel and, and Ellie... I'm relating to the ghost of my father, and I'm relating to the ghost of my daughter. And then that's not going to go well, right? When you're, when you're imagining somebody as they're not. Right. And so in some ways, this is the radical honesty that they kind of need to rip away the, the veneer here so that they can actually um, express their feelings that they, that they really are having, which is, you know, I, I do want to be uh, related to you. Yeah, they had, to, they had to hash some things out, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of missable details. Um, something I just caught as Joel was approaching the house and he notices the light on. It just hit me as a very nice scene of like what could have been or what could yet to be, right? Like just living in a, in a safe house, you know, in a nice place with a, you know, coming home and, you know, my family is there and warm environment and stuff. So that scene just, it was a very quick moment, uh, but it, it, it really caught my yeah. eye. Um, Two other little missable details. Uh, the blue Bondi iMac G3 on the desk of the <laughs> former of the room that Ellie's um, uh, in. And that was in production from 1998 to 2003. So that is a historically accurate little computer sitting there. And then when we see Joel having the flashback of the decorating the Christmas tree, there's a scene there where we see his watch. And I think we see... Uh, sort of a side shot of, of Sarah's hair there. So they bring that visual um, uh, connectivity again of, of Joel and Sarah. Yeah, I don't think he can let go of feeling a similar way about Ellie as he did to Sarah. Mm-hmm. When, when he is, and I, I'm cheating a little bit because I heard that this is what they were trying to do here too. Okay. But, Fair enough. but really yeah. they were trying to say, he's not, he's not, contrasting them he's comparing them right he's he's sort of holding Mm. them up next to each other of oh i'm getting that same feeling again interesting interesting and it's interesting too because in town there's a christmas tree and his memory is a christmas tree and yeah yeah nice constructions okay cool very hard scene i'm glad that they did it justice and they took basically the whole thing with the the acting the the gestures the blocking the the lines almost note for note from the game because it's one of the one of the fan favorite scenes in the game. I think that this is one of the scenes mm-hmm. that made you go from this is a good game to this Whoa. is a great game. This is a game that right. really wants to dig nice. deep into these character moments. And that's cool. I just keep hearing this that they're they're so thoughtful about their choices about what they're keeping and and changing and that that's just that, that makes me happy. Right. It makes me happy because it means that the showrunners care right. and have the space to care. HBO is giving them the latitude to make these decisions as opposed to, 
get us our dailies, get us our production, get it on time, get it on budget, and get it out. Well, you got Craig Mazin around. I mean, everything he does is amazing. (laughs) I am Will Livingston. (laughs) You are. You are the embodiment of Will Livingston. We have unmasked the true Will Livingston. (laughs) Yeah, it turns out I wrote the book. amongst our midst. Yes. Well done. I hope you got some good I should have. I should have gotten good royalties. So in the morning, Tommy picks up Ellie. When they get to the stables, Joel is there. He claims to have been trying to steal a horse and go for 30 minutes. Then he offers Ellie a choice, and she goes with him before he even finishes his sentence. You deserve a choice. Yeah, uh, interesting. Uh, I'm not necessarily what I was expecting. Uh, I, I was really taken that Ellie was like dressed and ready to go. The bed was unmade. Uh, but you know, she was, um, she had accepted her fate and was willing to go with Tommy, which is really interesting because like she is committed to this mission of giving her blood. If she's immune, that's a big choice for a a young kid to make. Yeah. And to be that committed, you know, and, and to have not Joel there with her through that. Yeah, that's that's kind of big. I think that she kind of thinks that if she doesn't go now, it's for nothing, right? They, they went across the whole country. If they don't do this now, what was it all for? What's the point? What's the point? What's that, the point uh, of that? Yeah, that, like Kathleen says. That's right. But that's a big person thought. Yeah. Right? Like that, that's, that's being able to see beyond the horizon of your immediate needs. And that's harder to do when you're, when you're younger like that. Well, I think Savage Starlight helped her. I mean, later she goes, well, I'm going to save the fucking world. You can at least sing for me. <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. So this was a huge departure from the game, actually. And I'm glad that they did okay. it because they cut out a big action sequence. But in the game, after Ellie hears this whole conversation and after they have their fight, mm-hmm. Ellie steals a horse and runs off, and then they she gets surrounded by infected. Joel and Tommy have to go save her, and okay, then right. Joel basically goes, "Well, I'm not leaving you now. You know, we'll we'll stick together." So we ended up okay. in the same spot, and I think that we got there a little better. I think that the character moments hit a little better with this. Yeah, it feels. Um, I'm glad that from what you're telling me of the what they did in the game versus this. That's fine for the game. I'm glad they did not do right. that here. I think this was a more real moment. Well, because yeah, you had nothing to do in, in Jackson in the game. So you had to you had to add some kind of action yeah. sequence. You got to head out of the town. Something that I didn't mention before about Jackson in general is that this was a big opportunity for them to show the town of Jackson because they did not get to show it in the first game because they ran out of budget. So they oh, only showed the dam <laughs> and they met Tommy in the area around the dam while they're like working on it. Because the power is out for some reason. And so he's uh-huh. working on fixing the dam and they're just talking about Jackson, but you never actually get to see the town and how happy they oh. are in the game. Okay. And 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 so. uh Neil Druckmann sounded ecstatic that he finally got to show this town and what it was. <laughs> right. This mythic this commune this commune. Right. Thank you, sir. There we are communists oh, yeah. here. Interesting. Very cool. Tommy tells Joel. There will be a place for him in Jackson. Joel replies, I'm counting on it. Joel asks to borrow Tommy's rifle, borrow, mind you, then rides off with Ellie towards the University of Eastern Colorado. Which is fake. It is fake, (laughs) as we've learned by our our needless searches on Google Maps. That's right. (laughs) I did, when I do put it in there, though, there is a... Colorado Mesa University, which sort of showed up in the right spot. Google does its uh, best. And I was like, 
Yeah. I was like, oh, that's really a long way. Grand Junction, do you know, from Jackson? That's a lot of country. Like, if they really were to do this, that is a huge amount of country to cross. I wonder if they picked a fake university to avoid paying, like, licensing fees for photos or something. I don't know. I think it totally makes sense to pick a fake university because a real university, then it would just, like, it would swirl, right? It would cause all kinds of Yeah, that's true. That's true. Around it. So, yeah, it makes sense. I do love that there seems to be hope with Joel now that I don't think was there before. Mm. I mean, before he's doing his I want to be a shepherd Mm. thing, but now he goes, hmm, maybe I would like this small town life. Hmm. That's a good point. That's interesting. And he's, um, you know, she throws her bag at him and, and, and they're like, let's go, saddle right. up. And, and he is, without hesitation, he's mounted up and, and they're on the No way. argument, no, how dare you Mm-mm. have said those Mm-mm. things to me, just let's go. Mm-hmm. And then they're just back at it. Yeah. In fact, I think that they're better yeah. after this, now that they got things out, than they were before. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Joel teaches Ellie how to shoot a long rifle. When she fails to shoot the target, Joel gets it in one shot. Ellie and Joel discuss the politics of the world before the outbreak. Then he explains the rule of football to her. (laughs) You going to shoot this thing or get it pregnant? (laughs) I love when he shoots it and goes, you dick. (laughs) She's she's not shy with her insults. No. Yeah. The way that they presented the politics was very interesting. And we don't talk real world Mm. politics on this show because we are... Lore entertainment only. podcast. Yeah, no, we're we're entertainment. Yes. But the way that he explained it was pretty funny. Some people wanted to own everything, and some people didn't want anyone to own anything at all. Ellie says, "Which one are you?" He says, "Neither. I just did my job." He was a sheep. Mm. Or he was just tired, right? I mean, it's it's exhausting yeah. being a person just working in the <sighs> world, existing in in I... this current timeline. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when I look at four, at 16 podcasts next month, I feel exhausted. <laughs> this is not our main gig, guys. We both have jobs. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, it's funny. I was just trying to explain the rules of football to American football to my seven-year-old the other day because we were watching the Super Bowl. My spouse was like, we need to watch it because it's part of the natural national culture. And, you know, we should I don't allow it at participate. my home. Just kidding. If my kids wanted to watch it, I would, but I, I don't do it. <laughs> Yeah. We, you know, I was like, oh, God. And so I had to find the thing on Roku to find the right channel and stuff. And it was fun. It was just kind of an event. You know, it was it was a, a national sporting event. It was kind of fun. And uh, uh, yeah, our seven-year-old was like, okay, so what is this? And how does this work? And why? And like, I'm trying to explain like offsides and when the what a flag on the field. It's really complex. It's a really complex game. Well, if you want a simpler version of football, Ted Lasso, season three, March 15th. There you go. It's coming up. Joel's comment about contractors. Everybody loved contractors. Mm. <laughs> He's so cheeky. Yeah. We, you love your contractor when they, when they do a good job and they deliver sure. on time. You don't love your contractor when they disappear. And you're like, where were you? And they are like, oh, I went on vacation and I didn't <laughs> tell you. And you're like, the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty funny. So, and I like that that comes back funny later, at all. too, when, when Ellie goes, <laughs> the contractor, with her face, contractor. like, contorting. And this was, yeah. again, every episode, I say it every episode, but Bella Ramsey is really embodying Ellie more every episode. That was a big Ellie moment. I heard from uh, Jean, our MC Universe buddy, and he was like, he's, he said he's finally, finally, this is the episode that really cemented Ellie for him. Okay. That's cool. I'm glad. So, yeah. 
So five days later, they make it to the university. Joel tells Ellie about college life, then tells her when he was a kid, he wanted to be a singer. They see monkeys roaming around the (laughs) campus, then find the building with firefly symbols. Um, yeah, this whole singer thing. I, 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 I don't know what to make of the singer thing. What I do make of the fact that he's opening up um, and that we know that we're on the other side of their relationship um, is that he's willing to play the what yeah. if game, right? You know, if he was being closed off, he'd be like, oh, I don't know. I can't think yeah. of anything. He basically initiated it, too. But here he is. He's Yeah, totally. Um, and then we know what happens when Joel opens up his heart. Mm. <laughs> Bad things happen. Bad things, things happen. Things go wrong. He gets shattered, quite yeah. literally, in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty lame Firefly base, if you ask me. Just some sandbags piled up at the end of the building. Like, I don't know. Seemed a little lame. Well, they had packed up and gone by that point. I'm, I'm sure it looked a little better before then. All right. I'll let you convince me of the fact. So the monkeys I want to talk about. The monkeys okay. had a whole plot line okay. in the game. <laughs> uh-huh. they, you don't fight them, but they were infected. Mm-hmm. Because you find all these audio journals from the scientists where they were running trials mm-hmm. on trying to make a vaccine. So this is the precursor to what they're doing with Ellie. And they eventually they figure out, you know, it's not really safe here anymore. We got to we got to move on. And that's when they decide to go to St. Mary's, which is what Joel, you know, just found on, on their notes. But the journals end up leading you to the scientists saying, you know, I don't think it's right that because they wanted him to execute the monkeys because they were infected. Because I don't think it's right uh-huh. that they do that we're going to do that. So I'm just going to let them go. And in the journal, uh-huh. he goes, oh, God, one of them just bit me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> then you find his body with a bullet in its head. So, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny for a second. And then you're like, oh, no, that's not good. No, not at yeah. all. Yeah. So that was the monkey plot in the game. I, again, nice nod to it without being uh-huh. over the top. Yeah. So... Inside the Firefly base, they find medical supplies and a packing list. Hearing movement upstairs, they explore the building and find more CGI monkeys. <laughs> they find a map pointing them to St. Mary's Hospital in Salt Lake City, Utah. I like how they just find the clues. You know, it's fine. Okay, like, I don't need you to, yeah, give me a lot of exposition or, you know, searching around. Just, give, you know, give me the next thing so we can move the story. Hey, Ellie, you it's see cool. the map? You see how it says St. Mary's Hospital? That's in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City's in Utah. Do you know what Utah is? Yeah, I went to went to federal school. We know where the states are. Okay, we'll point it out on the map. Well, I don't know. Yeah. That's the yeah, scene that we exactly. would have gotten in The Walking Dead. Yeah, for sure. Joel sees hostile humans outside the window. Joel and Ellie sneak back to the horse. Ellie spots an attacker with a baseball bat. Joel dodges the bat, which breaks on a tree and wins the fight. When he stands up, the broken handle of the bat is sticking out of his abdomen. Never remove a penetrating know. object from a wound in the I field. I know. Never. I saw that and I went, oh my God, that was the dumbest thing you could have done. And that was deep and jagged too. Like that was like, oh man, you're going to bleed out really quick. You know, maybe you can excuse it as he's panicking, but man, I feel like Joel would have known to not take it out. Yeah. I in just the strength to take that out. Actually, it's uh, that's that would have not have been an easy thing to yeah. do. Uh, and and it would oh no, I don't even want to get into the description of of, of that. Do you want to hear so. the grosser thing that happened in the game? No, not really. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you anyway because we're here to <laughs> inform. Hint yes, exactly. I knew you were. Yeah, he was on the second story, 
and he fell onto a uh, a bar, a metal bar, which went through. Oh, oh. Okay, I did not. So you that. needed to remove it there because he couldn't move without it. Yeah, right. He couldn't go anywhere. Right. So that made a little more sense. Okay. But they they did say on the podcast, you know, in the video game, you can heal yourself from bullets. This is more grounded. Right, we exactly. don't want to have a piece of metal, you know, a, a, a foot long piece Rebar, of metal yeah. going through him. We're just gonna we're just gonna do it with a bat. I think that makes more sense. Yeah, I, I agree with them on that. When when the when the the attacker hit the bat and it hit the tree, I was like, huh. That's weird, and then then of course it like it resolved. So yeah, it, it they did a nice yeah. job with it. The, the the blocking and the staging was was yeah, pretty good. Definitely. Joel and Ellie get on the horse and ride away from the attackers. When they are a safe distance away, Joel falls off the horse. Ellie tries to wake him up unsuccessfully. Joel, please. Did, did you ever see the 2010 Coen Brothers remake of True Grit with uh, Jeff Bridges? I did not. Um. Okay, well, this this scene really struck me uh, parallel to that, where but it's sort of in reverse because Jeff Bridges is carrying uh, Haley Steinfeld and and he's trying to save this little girl and she falls off the horse and all this stuff. So, um, but yeah, pretty tough for Ellie to be like, uh, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I handle this? Like, yeah, and then they just cut to black and you're just like, uh, hello, cliffhanger. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Do you think he's dead? Wager some internet points. No. No, I don't think he's dead. I think something happens. Okay. Something happens and, and uh, uh, he's saved. But he's going to be pretty messed up for a okay. while. So um, I hope he's not dead. I don't think he's dead. But me, I'm trained to not think that he's dead based on all the B-rate shows. <laughs> so, Man, I, again, I was watching Book, Book of Boba Fett today. And I said, can we just leave somebody dead for a minute? <laughs> and can anyone dead? stay dead in these shows yeah no it's really terrible that's really terrible and that's where like game of thrones was so when when ned when they cut his head off like it spoilers yeah. uh like it was so shocking because we're not used to that yeah and that's why it was so disappointing when later they had if you don't see the death they could come back right or even early walking dead they were they were happy to to take care mean main actors out so mm. okay you had a note about the music here. Yes. Apparently, Jessica Mason, Craig Mason's uh-huh. daughter, is the one who sings this acoustic version of Never Let Me Down Again, which we, of course, heard when Joel and Ellie were leaving Frank and, um, and Bill's place. Yeah. She did a good job, too. Uh, beautiful, very haunting. And again, the, the song is very poignant about, you know, uh, being with somebody you trust, being with somebody you love, where you can let go. And you're just out in the world, you're just going for a ride. And uh, obviously, uh, counterpoint tragedy here where, you know, Ellie's best friend is now um, (laughs) not doing so hot. Not doing so great here, Gary. Well, I'm super excited for next episode. I saw the next time on, and I won't say what's on it, but boy, am I excited because this is stuff that I have always wanted to see on screen. That's cool. All right. And there's opportunities to answer questions that I've had about the stuff in the game that I think they could answer better in the show that I hope Uh that they take. So I am hyped for next week. I'm more excited for next week than I've been for any episode yet. Wow. And that's going to be seven. So that'll be, it's not our penultimate, but yeah, we're getting there. We got three more episodes. We're getting into the rising action. Okay. Yeah. No feedback this week. Where's our feedback? I I even made a funny tweet about it today and nobody responded. Uh Uh-huh. 
It was a weird week too with the Friday to the. It, it feels like forever since we've been on the. Yeah, it's been like it's been ten days since the last episode. So it's. Yeah, wow. that was uh, that was a weird thing to see. Maybe nine days. Okay. Write in T-L-O-U at thelorehounds.com. Please let us know your feedback. Let us know how you are appreciating, you know, are you appreciating the season? Are you appreciating the episodes? Did you uh, have takes that, things that we didn't see that, uh, that you saw, that things you want to point out? You want to argue with us about stuff? Um, please write in. We love your feedback. Well, I think it's time for our Patreon shout outs, David. Yes. We've got three tiers on our Patreon. The top tier is $10 a month. And we put that there because we wanted to give people an opportunity to support us extra if they really wanted, but we weren't sure if anybody was going to take it. But it turns out that there are heroes out there, and here they are. (laughs) Samarjan, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., David W., Michelle E., Brian P., Nick W., and SC. Thank you again to all our patrons, and especially our lore masters, but everybody who's listening because... We couldn't do this without you. We're having a great time just talking about TV on a microphone, and I'm glad that people are enjoying it enough to do that. Um, one of these days, we, we might actually have to have it where we we have that speed reading thing like they do for <laughs> the uh, terms and conditions of like uh, contests and stuff <laughs> of all of our, uh, our our patrons. But yeah, again, no, we're gonna have all. a three hour podcast with all our lore masters. <laughs> the army is growing. All right, David, you want to talk about what we're doing next? Oh, there's a lot. Um, should we talk about Maester Anthony really quick? I think um, so. Our friends over there on the Electric Bukaloo, um House of the Dragon Hot D feed. He is continuing with Clash of the Kings. We are going to be on his podcast in just a couple of days. So make sure to uh, check out his um, feed. I think we'll put a link in our show notes for this episode. If you're not already um, subscribed to that, um, Maester Anthony is a uh, uh, lore master of note in the Game of Thro- uh, Thrones world, and uh, he's been reading, uh, he's been doing a read-along of Clash of Kings, and we got to join him for Chapter 11, which is a Theon uh, chapter. And he's invited us back, and we're going to be on that again. I think that one's going to be in April. And then we've invited him to be on Silmarillion Stories, which he's going to do in June with the unjaining of Melkor. So we're excited to continue kicking some things around with him. John, that's, uh, and we've got even more stuff, right? Uh, You mentioned The Mandalorian. Yeah, we've got The Mandalorian Season 3 coming out on March 1st. We're doing a season preview podcast that we're recording soon and will be out sometime after this podcast. And we're going to just be recapping the first two seasons very briefly, talking about our hopes and our fears going into season three. So check out our feed for that. We also have a new Star Wars feed. If you want to support us over there, give us a nice rating and review and uh, start getting that feed into the eyes, into the ears of all those Star Wars fans out there who are just looking for a new Mandalorian podcast. Ted Lasso season three is coming back on March 15th. And David, you've convinced me to double up on shows again, which is just, Ugh, I know. I don't know why I keep listening to you, but we're here and it's <laughs> happening and uh, I'm going to have fun with it because I do love Ted Lasso. Like I, I agreed to it because I love Ted Lasso and it's not that long, so we could probably do some short podcasts, but it'll be really fun to dig into the, the laughing and the crying of this show that somehow ends up being super meaningful while really funny. I think that season three is going to offer something different than seasons one and two did, 
given where the characters have gone and sort of what's evolved. And I think we're there's going to be some more meat uh, for us to to sink our teeth into and to have conversation around. And yeah, we've been we were kicking around the ideas where we might do a lower production value. I don't know, a little bit more of a speed podcast. No, it's all high production value. Oh my gosh! Like, good lord, why why are we doing this to ourselves? Um, but it's a good show, and it's hard not to podcast, not to want a podcast about it. Yeah, Silmarillion stories out this Saturday. We're talking of Owl and Yavanna. It's already recorded. It's already scheduled. Patrons have it already. So if you really just can't wait to see it then uh, get early access on the Patreon. We have a new project with returning Tolkien scholar Marilyn R. Pukila, but she's not talking Tolkien with us this time. She's talking Ursula K. Le Guin with A Wizard of Earthsea, the first book in the Earthsea cycle. We're going to talk a non-spoilery section, we're going to talk a spoilery section, and we're going to have a swell time in the world of Earthsea. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I just finished my... uh read through and I've got a ton of notes and uh, we're, we're kicking some stuff around with Marilyn. So look for that towards the end of March. We have a target date in mind, but we got to get some uh, logistics lined up before we promise anything. But it's in the works. And we're going to do all four first books for sure. And then we'll talk about the, the, the two following books, which aren't necessarily part of the storyline per se, but um, we're definitely going to do the first four. Yep. We have one other new project I mentioned earlier, The Lorehounds Play The Last of Us Part 1. We're going to be doing approximately a game a month. I'm not going to promise that, but approximately a game a month. We're bringing on Brandon the Bard, who you might have seen around our Discord, uh, who's a, a lovely podcast host. He has a podcast about Destiny that he does right now called Time to Explain. And we're really excited to work with him. We're really excited to bring a new voice on and just talk about games. Because, David, you're not a big video gamer, but you do play nope. uh, tabletop. That's going to be you and Brandon, so that's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, seeing what you guys get up to, because it seems like we're doing that IP crossover stuff more and more now. So definitely, definitely, we're t- we're kicking around some ideas on doing a uh, uh, another synergy approach with the Star Wars show and game next month. So we'll see what happens with that. Sounds good. All right, David. I think that's it. Thanks again for, to everyone listening. Another long one, because what's new? (laughs) We will see you all next week. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies, Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the fourth be with you all, all month and beyond.